Welcome to China in Context. I'm Duncan Barthage. China cannot be said to have a warm relationship with many liberal democracies these days. Things with Australia, Canada and the United Kingdom have gone sour amid allegations of spying and political interference. Until recently, there was a pretty good rapport between China and South Korea, a nation which sits close to China's eastern border and which has a lively democratic culture. However, in the past year or so, things have changed. And here to talk to us about why that is, and consider some of the broader questions about East Asia's politics and economics, I'm delighted to welcome back to the podcast an expert who knows both China and South Korea well. Rory Green is Chief China Economist and Head of Asia Research at T.S. Lombard, and he joins me on the line from Seoul in South Korea. Rory, welcome back to China in Context. Thanks, Duncan. It's, it's great to be back. So let's start with the changes in the relationship between these two important nations. Tell us about South Korea's leader, President Yoon Suk-yeol. Yoon Suk-yeol has been probably the key driver of changes in China-Korea relations. And I think the interesting thing here is the main factor behind the, the change is the impact of Korea's other perhaps the most important bilateral relationship, that between Washington and Seoul. And President Yun has moved much closer to the US and indeed adopted Washington's stance on a range of key global geopolitical and economic issues, most notably Taiwan. Uh, Yun has also played up US-Korean military relations, including the prospects of nuclear deterrence, the THAAD terminal high altitude air defense uh, radar, uh, touting possible expansion there, which um, has angered China, and also the prospect of US submarines patrolling South Korean waters. So actually, I think it's US-Korea relations which are doing a lot of damage to China-Korea ties. And in fact, on a purely bilateral China-Korea basis, not much has, has shifted. Rather, it's the move closer to the US, which is raising tension between Seoul and Beijing. Well, I was very struck, actually, when President Yoon went to Washington earlier on this year. President Biden handed him a guitar and President Yoon sang a song, American Pie. <laughs> that was a symbol of US-South Korea closeness, wasn't it? And yeah, a very clear signal of... President Yun's commitment to the US-Korea alliance. Now, can you also tell us something about the way President Yun deals with another Asian neighbour, Japan? Because I think that's relevant to what you were saying about the US-South Korea relationship, and of course to China. I think the common thread here is the movement towards US-favoured positions. Uh, so both the, the Taiwan stance, from, from Seoul, uh, broader uh, geopolitical positioning, and also relations with Japan. Now, Washington has always tried to push arguably its top Asian allies closer together. Normally, it's been unsuccessful. There's deep historical differences that have prevented that. And there, even now, it's still a broad, uh, deep-seated anger towards Japan for its brutal 35-year occupation of Korea. You know, very 
uh, profound scarring of the, the Korean psyche of the Korean people um, for a whole host of, of historical factors. Um, but even with that still in place, it's striking that Yun, President Yun, had unilaterally almost decided to absolve Japan of responsibility, take a huge step of um, putting the emphasis on Korean companies to pay compensation for uh, Japan's past crimes. Uh, and in return, uh, certainly from a public perception, President Yun did not get a particularly good deal. Um, some trade restrictions were removed. Quite a positive visit from Prime Minister Kishida of Japan, um, but nothing really um, big enough to uh, assuage the the Korean public. And that shift I put put largely down to, to U.S. influence and a movement again closer uh, to Washington across a range of global and regional issues. Well, I'm intrigued that you say that President Yoon perhaps didn't get much out of that rapprochement with Japan, because I think it did raise South Korea's status as a global pivotal nation, as it likes to be known. And I think it was good for Mr. Yoon's reputation. But, you know, I do understand that not everything that the president does is popular with everybody in South Korea. Because, you know, it's a lively democracy. People have a variety of views on foreign policy. Can you say something about the uh, perception, perhaps particularly among the opposition politicians? President Yun has generally been uh, quite unpopular, uh, both with the opposition and um, based on the polling data with, with the public um, at large. Uh, he's at points... Um, at certain points reached record low levels of support compared to other Korean presidents at comparable stages of their terms in office. Um, polling has since recovered uh, from those lows, but is still not particularly strong. And this is partly, I think, due to factors that are outside its control. The economy is, is a big driver here. Korea's property cycle has turned with, with higher global interest rates. The global tech cycle has dealt a heavy blow to Korea's exports industry. Korea imports a great deal of energy and food products. So the, the economy is feeling the squeeze. President Yun hasn't done much to deal with it, but it's a global situation that, that's out of his hands. The other aspect, which is potentially uh, more manageable and hasn't been dealt with uh, in a way that the public has, has got behind, is a range of controversies over press freedom, gaffes overseas, hot mic moments in various parts of the world. Some of the spending and uses of power by the First Lady have been controversial. And as we've touched on, the, the rapprochement with Japan uh, has raised public disapproval. So he's not, not quite at the, the polling lows, but he has, there's a bit of a recovery. But these domestic and global political issues, plus the, the broader economic cycle, uh, have given you an a, a a tricky time. He'll be hoping for a pickup, certainly in the economy, ahead of National Assembly elections next year, where he needs a, a big win to take control of the Korean legislature. Very useful to get your perception from Seoul, actually, on some of these domestic issues that we may miss from our London perspective. But, you know, Mr. Yoon has been very active on the international stage this year. He was an observer at the G7 summit in Hiroshima in May. Uh, he also went to the NATO summit in Vilnius. He gave a big speech in Poland. And then 
actually, to people's surprise, he went to Kyiv uh, to meet uh, President Zelensky of Ukraine. So what's the strategy here, do you think, Rory? You're right. He has been very prominent globally. And I think that the strategy of the um, what is called the global pivotal nation is quite a good one. Um, the strategy here is essentially to leverage Korea's rising geo-economic importance, uh, initially to improve on its diplomatic position within the G7 framework, within perhaps NATO, and it seems to be bearing fruit. You know, in simple terms, Korea is one of the key pivot points of Asia and by extension the world. From a purely strategic military geographic standpoint, uh, it's often been described as a dagger pointed at the heart of China, a base of 30,000 US soldiers. So very, very important uh, for both Beijing and Washington to, to watch closely. And on the other key global driver, technology, Korea produces some of the most advanced semiconductors in the world, one of the few countries with a trade surplus with China. President Yun is attempting to use the rising importance of Korea's uh, geographic and strategic position, plus its, its economic role, uh, this greater heft to get a seat at the global table and raise Korea's prominence. And so far, I think he's had some, some positive success there. The trick will be continuing this progress without damaging economic ties with China. It remains to be seen whether that can continue, but so far, a good effort to becoming a global pivotal nation. Well, let's talk about the situation in China then. The economic growth rate is not what it once was, no uh, 10 or 11% growth. What, what would you say are the main challenges facing China economically? And, and how do you think that might impact South Korea or indeed the rest of the world? So China, on a cyclical basis, is still really getting out of its sort of pandemic cycle. The, the country remains uh, deeply scarred, not just uh, from a psychological perspective, but in, in economic terms, in terms of uh, balance sheets and borrowing lost jobs, uh, deeply scarred from not just a COVID shock, but a triple shock of zero COVID, property slump, plus rapid regulatory changes in, in key industries. And this is really uh, weighing on uh, China's post-COVID growth path. Beyond this pandemic cycle is going to be key for, for the medium term, for, for global geopolitics, and for, for Korea's economy. Post-COVID trend growth is difficult to gauge, but we know it's going to be slower. So I'd like to conclude with a question which takes us somewhat into the realm of speculation, but I'd like to get your perspective anyway. How realistic is it for the South Koreans to expect China to put pressure on the North Korean leader Kim Jong-un to halt the rocket launches, respect the international rules and basically stop being so bellicose? It's a good question and I think depends on two key factors and potentially one wild card. So the first is, you know, what, what is it in China's interest to exert some of its diplomatic might, some of its hard power perhaps, um, to, to rein in North Korea? What, what does China receive in return? 
at the moment, there's not much to gain, I believe, for Beijing. It helps um, in general to have this potential loose cannon on the corners of, of East Asia that will, it keeps um, the alliance of democracies, as Biden calls it, on, on their toes. So I, I don't think from a Chinese side, there's much interest to, to rein in uh, Kim, as long as he is directed firmly outwards and away from the China-North Korea border. The other factor to watch is the North Korean domestic economy. We only really see uh, large political changes or periods where China and perhaps Russia can exert large influence on North Korea when the domestic economy is very weak. There might have been a case for that during COVID-19, which clearly hit North Korea very hard. At this time, it's difficult to gauge how weak the economy is. Uh, but if it deteriorates sharply, then we should expect China to be have a greater role uh, and perhaps succeed in reining in a bit of North Korean pressure. And the wild card is, is Russia. Um, I think Russia-North Korea relations have deepened following the invasion of Ukraine. And perhaps that is a, a new angle or a, a, an angle that is greater importance going forward to analyze um, outside pressure on Pyongyang. Well, thank you, Rory. I always very much appreciate your thoughtful analysis of China, South Korea, and the East Asian region. That was Rory Green, Chief China Economist and Head of Asia Research at TS Lombard, speaking to us from Seoul. This podcast is made by the SOAS China Institute in London, and you can find out more about our courses and research at soas.ac.uk. But for now, that's all from us here on the China in Context podcast team. Thank you.